My wife Brandy and I have two children, one who's about to graduate from high school in two weeks, and one son who's in the eighth grade. So our little girl is about to graduate and go off to college. So I admit right now I'm a bit of an emotional basket case. So as I watch these families dedicate their children this morning, I was not really watching them. I was seeing my little girl in their arms. In just a few weeks, I'm sure I'll be blubbering as I watch her you know, cross the stage to receive her diploma. So I'm overwhelmed by the thought of how quickly these children grow up. I admit I'm also overwhelmed at the cost of college. It's stunning, and I'm trying to figure out how to pay for it, so I'm trying to find out just how often could I sell my own plasma to try to pay, to pay for, for college. If you have ideas, entrepreneurs, let me know how we can pay for it. I mean, it is costly. I mean, honestly, if we tell the truth, parents, children are costly. If it's not one thing, it's another. They're saying, Dad, could I have some money for this? Oh, the school needs a check for that. I mean, it's one thing after another. I mean, if you're a parent, have you ever tried to calculate just how much your children cost? I wouldn't recommend it. Probably, probably wouldn't be helpful to your soul. But why don't we calculate it? Why don't we keep a ledger of what it costs? It's because though children are very costly, children are worth it. They are worth the cost. They are worth the sacrifice. They are a gift from God. And as parents, these children are entrusted to us. So it doesn't mean that they aren't costly, but it does mean it's a good cost. It's a right cost. It's, it's a worthy cost. And as parents, as we raise children, we are engaging in the biblical call to be fruitful and multiply. But that's not the only form of multiplication that we see in the Bible. We see other forms of multiplication given to his people, given to the church. Multiplication that also is good and right, but also multiplication that is costly. And today we're going to explore some of that gospel multiplication. What does that look like and how every single one of us who are here today are called into that? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. In the Bibles that are provided near you, you can find Acts chapter 11, on page 1090, we'll begin in verse 19. So page 1090, Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first 
in Antioch. Now this morning, as we look through the Scriptures, I'd like for us to see three elements of gospel multiplication. Three elements of gospel multiplication. We'll see scattered to multiply. Second, we'll see gathered for gospel impact. And then third, sacrifice to multiply. So first, we see scattered to multiply. We see this in verse 19. That people were scattered because of the persecution that arose. If you were to take the time and look back to Acts chapter 7, you would see that Stephen, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, was stoned for preaching the gospel. And then right after that, in Acts chapter 8, we see this in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Listen to Acts 8, 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So many believers who had been in Jerusalem were scattered because of this persecution. They hadn't planned to go. This wasn't a part of the life they had charted for themselves, but it also wasn't pointless because God was working through them to advance the gospel. So in God's sovereign working, even persecution is used to advance the gospel. Evidently, God is more concerned with the spread of the gospel to people who've never heard than he is with the comfort of those who know him. Because God didn't prevent this persecution from happening. Instead, he used this persecution as a catalyst to send his people forth. So the people were scattered that they might scatter the gospel as they went. Friends, our own personal difficulties the circumstances of our lives that we find ourselves in, often that are quite challenging, some that are disheartening, those are often tools that God uses to take us into places, into neighborhoods, into relationships where we perhaps never go. But the reason is that the gospel would be scattered as we go. So what appears to be a setback here to the church in Jerusalem is really no setback at all. In God's sovereign working of his purposes, God is at work positioning his people to advance the gospel, scattering his people that they might multiply. This scattering to multiply has always been Jesus' plan for his disciples. At the beginning of this book, at the beginning of Acts, in Acts chapter chapter 1, verse 8, here's what Jesus says. But you'll receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This was Jesus' last sort of mission emphasis to his followers before he ascends into heaven. And he points them to the mission, which is to be witnesses. They are to witness, they are to testify, they are to go and tell of what Christ has done in and through them. They are to speak of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jerusalem, but not only in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this was for the first disciples of Jesus, but not only for the first disciples. Friends, it's for every disciple of Jesus. Friends, it's for you, and it's for me. He gives us this mission of spreading the gospel. And he gives the power for the mission, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So friends, you and I, if we're followers of Jesus, are to go and to be witnesses, engaging those around us, that the gospel would be spread. So friends, today we must all consider, are we doing that? 
Am I doing that? Are you doing that in, in the life, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, on the campus that you're a part of? Are we scattering the gospel as we go? So the persecution arises that scatters them across the region. The text says they went to Phoenicia and to Cyprus and to Antioch. So some of them came to the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was the capital city of the Roman province of Syria. It was the third largest city in the empire at the time, around 500,000 people. So it's a large, pluralistic, cosmopolitan city and also a spiritually dark place. And so the gospel makes its way into Antioch, but we should notice in our text, who is it that spreads the gospel to Antioch? It's, it's a seemingly unlikely group. Because if you read the text closely, no one is named as the leader of this group. And in fact, we also notice that none of the apostles are with them. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. This is simply a collection of people who know and follow Jesus, who've been scattered, and as they go, they take the gospel. They don't know any better but to take the good news to Antioch. So the first widespread attempt of taking the gospel to the nations was done by some unnamed people. So we see that people are scattering the seed of the gospel and a significant number of people are coming to believe. They're, they're turning to believe in Christ. So a multiplication of believers was happening. More and more disciples. Now what was their message in Antioch? Look down at verse 20. It says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. That was their message. Jesus Christ. And that's our message as well. That was their message in the midst of a pluralistic world. The message of the good news of Jesus Christ. The perfect Son of God who came near. God pursuing sinners like us. Sinners who were in desperate need of salvation, who had no means of saving ourselves. God in His great kindness and love sent forth the Son that He might through His substitutionary death on the cross rescue sinners like us. That was their message. And friends, that's our message in Cambridge. That's the message in Hingham. That's the message for every church. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that's the message we want you to hear and to consider. The message of Christianity is not of people who become good through our own efforts. It's not religious people who clean up their acts, but it is people who are aware of our desperate need of a Savior and who come to know of a gracious King who died in the place of rebels so that if we would repent and believe in Him, trust in Him, we'd receive this gift of salvation. And friend, if that message is new to you, we would love for you to know more about that. So maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Ask them. They would love to tell you more. Or, or ask one of the staff, one of the elders of this congregation. They were scattered, and we too are scattered. Like the believers in Antioch, we are to be about scattering the gospel, sowing seeds of the gospel. So we see that believers are scattered to multiply. Second, though, we see that they're gathered for gospel impact gathered for gospel impact. We need to notice what happens in Antioch. So the message of the gospel is shared and people are believing. They're turning by faith to Jesus Christ. But then what? What do you do? There's a collection of believers in Antioch. What are they to do? They're not to go it alone. They're to be brought together into a local church. 
So look down at verse 26. It speaks of them meeting with the church. So people came to believe in the gospel, then they're gathered into the gospel community, which is the local church. And friends, this is God's way for people to be brought together into the local church. And all the rest of the text is about what they do together, not individually. Not just a bunch of random individual believers in Antioch, but believers together in the local church. And friends, that's God's design. That is the way that the mission is advanced through local churches. So God's plan is not simply for individual believers in Hingham and in Hull and in Cohasset and Weymouth, but they would be brought together in local churches like South Shore Baptist Church. And so if you're here today and you are a Christian, I wonder, are you a part of a local church? I mean, are you in on the mission with a local congregation? Not do you occasionally attend, but is there a local church that you call home, that you've put down roots with? You say, you can count on me. I'm in the mission with you. And friends, if you're not, let me just caution you. It is not for the good of your own soul to go it alone. It is dangerous. And it is impossible for you to truly join in the mission of Jesus by yourself completely. So friend, find a local church. I know a good option for you. This one, right? So so this would be a good place to start. Join this church. Put down roots in this congregation and join in the mission in this area. So we see that it's God's way for us to gather into this local church. And in the text, we see several attributes of a congregation that's gathered together for gospel impact. A church that's gathered for gospel impact is dependent on the power that comes from God and not on themselves. Look down at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us the Lord's hand was with them. So it was because of the hand of the Lord, not because of their strong hands. A great number of people were hearing the message and believing and turning to Christ. And how is this happening? Because the hand of the Lord was with them. Not because they were so brilliant. Not because they were great preachers, but because God was with them. So in this congregation, in our church in Cambridge, in any and every church, our hope is in God. Not in our efforts, not in our ingenuity, not in our skill, but that God's hand would be with us as the gospel is preached. A church that is gathered for gospel impact is also marked by grace. Now, at this time in history, the church in Jerusalem is clearly the mother church. And they hear the news of something that's happening in Antioch. They hear of these people coming to believe, this gathering of the church. So they say, we need to know what's going on. So they they send someone up to Antioch to find out what's happening there, to, to come back and report. So they send this man named Barnabas to go and see what's going on. And look at verse 23. It says, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad. So he shows up to check out, to explore what's going on here. Are they really preaching the gospel? What is in this congregation? And what does he see? He sees evidence of grace. He saw a church with these number of evidences. They were actively scattering the gospel. Individual lives are being changed through the power of the Spirit. He saw a church where significant cultural barriers are now being crossed. This church in Antioch was marked by grace. 
But that was not to be said only of the church in Antioch. Friends, that's to be true of every congregation. Where the gospel's at the center, where the Spirit of God is at work, that our churches will be marked by grace. A church gathered for gospel impact also shines brightly in the darkness. Antioch was a spiritually dark place. But gradually, the light of the gospel was beginning to shine in this great city as the followers of Jesus were distinct. And they were so distinct that they were given a nickname. Look down at verse 26. It tells us the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, this was not a nickname that they gave to themselves. It was actually intended to be a derogatory term about them. So it wasn't that some marketing expert came to the church in Antioch and said, hey, we need a, a way to kind of describe ourselves. Let's call our names Christians. That's not what they did. In fact, it was other people, skeptics, who said, here are these people that all they do is they speak of this Christ. They're always talking about Christ, and so we'll call them Christians. It wasn't until sometime later that the church took this for themselves to call themselves Christians. The grace of God shines brightly in dark places. And friends, that gives us hope in a region that is statistically dark. And we sometimes wonder, well, can the gospel still hold its own in greater Boston? Can the gospel hold its own on the South Shore? Because we can all drive around and we can see empty church buildings. So is it that the gospel wasn't strong enough? Is that why they're abandoned church buildings that now are beautiful condominiums? Was the gospel just not able to hold up in this modern region? No, it's not that the gospel was not sufficient. It's that the church didn't cling to the gospel. The church gradually slid from the gospel. The gospel has not failed. It will not fail. It can and does shine brightly in dark places. A church gathered for gospel impact is marked by generosity. If you're to read beyond this text Acts chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, we see that the church was informed by a prophet that there was a famine coming in the region. So the church in Antioch, this brand new church, determines that they would take an offering and send relief to the Christians in Judea. They gave according to what they had. And what drove this radical generosity? It was the grace of God. They had experienced the grace of God, so now it overflowed in them in grace given to others. This was not guilt-driven, but driven by the infinite grace of God. And friends, this is what we want every local church to do, to be engaged in ongoing, overflowing, radical, grace-driven generosity. We've experienced God's generosity towards us in Christ, in the gospel, and so we freely give to others. And I know that this congregation does that. As you give to missionaries, You give to church plants, you give to to ministries all around the region as you send out Jeremy and Seth and you support them. But what might it look like for us to do more? To give more? We've received so much. How might we give that the gospel would go forward? So the church is gathered for gospel impact. But then third, we see sacrifice to multiply. Sacrifice to multiply. Look down at the Bible to just the next two chapters over to chapter 13. Acts 13, 
So the, the book of Acts, so the story is moving around from place to place, but it jumps back in Acts 13.1 to Antioch, to the church in Antioch, where we've been. Look what it says, beginning in verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So, so look at what's happening here. The church has gathered together. They're worshiping. They're fasting. In the midst of this, God, by the Spirit, somehow instructs them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the mission that God had for them. As we look at this text, we see that the church in Antioch had been blessed with several leaders who were named here. But if you've read the book of Acts or the New Testament much at all, there are two names that stick out. Saul, who later become Paul. Saul and Barnabas. Those are the two names you really notice. The others, like great guys, I don't exactly know who they are. So these are the two noticeable names. Saul, Paul, the, the great teacher and leader, the one who God would inspire to write the significant, the massive portion of the New Testament. Barnabas, a godly example and a true encourager. And so now the Lord is going to call Antioch, who had been planted by people from Jerusalem, he's going to call Antioch to send out some people to plant another church. But who should they send out? Who would this great strategic church in Antioch, who would they send out to take the gospel to the next place? I mean, surely it would be that you would call out some second-tier leaders. I mean, wouldn't the wisest be to, you would send the B team, right? We've got the A team here. We'll send the B team to the next city. But notice, that's not what happens. Instead, God calls out these two key leaders and says, send them out. Send out Saul and Barnabas. Now think about this if you're a member of the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch is thriving, well-equipped. I mean, if there were ever glory days in Antioch, these were them. And it certainly would have been a temptation to say, can't we just keep things the way they are? Let's keep Saul and Barnabas. Let's send Manan. He can go. We'll keep those two. We love these two. We're served by these two. But what does the church do? They gladly, but also I'm sure with bittersweet hearts, They send them out. And why? Because of the mission. The mission to see gospel multiplication spread to every people and tribe and tongue. The church in Antioch was not enough. A multiplication of churches was necessary. The gospel impulse was not, if people are interested, let them come to Antioch. If they want to hear the gospel, they can make their way to Antioch and they can join a great church here. No, it is that the church in Antioch would send those out to those who had never heard. If we think about it, to the church in Antioch at the moment, this would have looked like subtraction at the very least. Or perhaps like division. I mean, you're pulling out these two key leaders. But this subtraction was necessary in order for gospel multiplication to happen. Now, was this easy for the church in Antioch? Of course not. 
They loved Barnabas. They loved Saul. They had been greatly served by them. But what enabled them to give so sacrificially at such great cost to themselves, it was the grace of God. They had received so much. God had so freely given to them that they could then freely give their very best leaders to the mission. So what drove their vision for multiplication? It was the mission of Jesus to go and to make disciples of all the nations. It was their knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what about Paul and Barnabas? They're sent out, but this was uncharted territory. You guys go and, and plant more churches. They were leaving these rich, close relationships. They were taking a huge risk. They could fail. They had a good thing going in Antioch. They could fail. And what made it possible to leave behind these deep relationships? Friends, it is, the, it is the promise of Jesus that he will provide for us family in the gospel. So that wherever Paul and Barnabas would start a new church, that would then become to them family. Not leaving behind the Antioch family, but that would be their family. Our family, we have no biological family within hundreds and hundreds of miles. But we've been richly blessed by the family of the local church. God has been faithful to our kids, especially through that. So that when our daughter celebrates graduation and when I'm in the corner crying, there will be all sorts of people from the church there loving her and celebrating who have been to her, aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins, friends. Jesus is faithful to provide for us as we go. He would be faithful to Saul and Barnabas as they would go as well. So gospel multiplication compelled the church to sacrificially give people to the mission. And this gospel multiplication also drove financial sacrifice as well. It's not mentioned specifically in this text, but undoubtedly, as they sent Saul and Barnabas, they also supported them financially. As in many of Paul's letters, he writes back, thanking churches for their support, asking them to continue to be faithful for the advance of the gospel. So they send out people and money. They send out money and people. So we see the church here joining in the sending out of labors. And imagine with me what that would look like if over the next decades from South Shore Baptist Church there was a steady stream of people sent out for gospel spreading and gospel multiplication. You're doing it right now at great cost to yourselves. Sending out Jeremy, sending out Seth. What a beautiful picture of gospel sacrifice to send them out. And it's going to be tempting right now to say, we've done enough for a while. We'll let the next generation take care of that. We, we've done our sacrificing. But friends, what if it was year after year sending out people to cross-cultural missions? People from this church going to, to people who've never heard the gospel. People from this church going around the world to plant churches. People from this church going out to plant churches in neighboring communities. What if that were so? It would be costly. It would be painful. But it would be good and right. Sacrificing to multiply, though, is it's not short-term. It's long-term. If we look further into the book of Acts, we see not only did they initially send them out, but they continued to be committed for the long-term. So we see in chapter 14, 24 to 28, that Saul returns. And they tell the story of what has happened. They, they tell of, of their trip 
The church in Antioch celebrates with them. And they send them out again. They don't keep them. They send them out again for the sake of the gospel. So there was an ongoing, deep commitment. So friends, we see here, sacrifice to multiply. Now as we think about the example here of the church in Antioch, I think we're, we're left to wonder, is this example unique? Is there an example here in Antioch that's meant to really be the exception in church history? Or is there something for us? Now, there there are certainly some exceptions. They're sending out an apostle. We don't send out apostles anymore. But otherwise, there is nothing unique about their example. I believe what's happening here, God intends to be normal, not abnormal in local churches. Now, unfortunately, throughout the centuries, and certainly in America today, this isn't common. There's a very good chance that if you're a Christian, you've been in the U.S. your entire life, it's very possible you've never been a part of a church that planted another church. For us to try and think in these terms of sending out people and planting churches can seem strange to us. Even among pastors, it can feel like these are kind of the odd ones who are about planting churches. Well, friends, what we're seeking to do here at Hope Fellowship Church and what, what you're thinking about doing here at South Shore Baptist Church is not trying to be exceptional. I would suggest you're just simply trying to be normal. You're trying to do what is normative, what God's intention is for all of his churches, the normal pattern of gospel multiplication. Now why now and why here in New England? Why plant more churches on the South Shore? It is that many more churches are needed here. When God called us to plant a church in Cambridge in 2003, we were committed that that God had been kind to us, but but God didn't put us there that there would be a church in greater Boston. But that if God would so give us the opportunity that we'd be a part of seeing more churches planted because there are thousands and thousands of people who need the gospel. Friends, God's purposes, thankfully, are much bigger than our church, Hope Fellowship Church. And God's purposes are much bigger than your church, South Shore Baptist Church. And we just have the the great opportunity, all of us, to join in that great gospel mission. Now you might reasonably ask, but but why plant a church rather than keeping everyone together? There are many reasons, but just a couple I've mentioned today. Proximity to people greatly increases the likelihood who someone who doesn't know Christ, will engage with that local church. The closer a local church is, the more likely someone who's not a Christian will attend. Now, motivated Christians will drive miles to attend a good church. Some of you this morning drive miles to be a part of this healthy church. But friends, if you drive more than just a few miles and you've tried to reach out to neighbors and friends and invite them to church, you've very likely had the experience of them saying, I I just won't drive that far. Often, people who aren't Christians might drive one town over. But the likelihood of someone driving two or three towns over to attend a church when they don't know Christ is very, very low. So how do we reach the thousands of people in this region? We have churches in their town and a close driving distance to them. We planted Beacon Community Church It's four miles from our facility to their facility. But in the town of Belmont, there are thousands and thousands of people who need Christ who will never come into Cambridge. They won't do that to hear the gospel. So what do we do? Say, well, good luck to them. 
No, we send a, a gospel presence, a local church in Belmont that can know Belmont, that can be in Belmont. So yesterday, they're at Belmont Town Day building relationships. So, so proximity for those who don't know Christ, but also, friends, proximity for those who do. One of the, the rich realities of the local church is life-giving fellowship among believers, but it's hard if we live 25 miles apart. You know that. So the closer we are, the more likely we can engage in this sort of community together. And friends, imagine if someone had a, a new health care plan for Greater Boston. And they said, we can have the finest, the absolute finest health care in the world, but here's what we'll do. We're going to bring all the health care into the center of Boston. So all the hospitals, all the doctors, all the emergency rooms, all the urgent care will be within Boston proper, and so you, from Hingham, you have access to the finest healthcare in the world. You just have to get from Hingham to downtown Boston. So there, there's no ER here, but if you can get there, they will care for you. Well, I would guess we would say that's not a good plan. Why? It's because sometimes we need urgent care nearby. The closer, the better. Well, friends, if that's true when it comes to hospitals, how much more so for a gospel presence? How much more so do we need local churches in communities where people can, can easily go and have care for their souls that they might know Christ? There are also practical realities. I mean, there are thousands of people within three miles of this facility who need Christ. If only 5% of them, 2% of them wanted to come to the South Shore Baptist, where would you put them this morning? I mean, you'd be services all day long and you still couldn't house everyone within just a few miles of here. So it'll take many churches to do this. So what might it look for South Shore Baptist Church to leverage the resources that God has blessed you with to plant one church and then another church and then another church? Friends, true multiplication can happen. What a great blessing. What a great opportunity, but also what a great responsibility we have. But friend, let me warn you. If you do this, if you engage in planting churches, it will be costly. It's a lot like having a baby. That they're a beautiful gift from God, but friends, they are costly. It will cost you financially to plant churches. It will cost you relationally to plant churches. But unfortunately, I can't offer you a plan that doesn't cost, that will reach this region with the gospel. It will be costly, but friends, it is good and it is right. I mean, a year ago when we sent people out to plant Beacon Church, I mean, it was a day of tears, tears of joy. That is true. But for me, tears of sorrow. These are people I love. People that have been family to our kids, as I mentioned, now they're going out. Not that far, but far enough. I don't see them weekly. It is costly, but it is good. And it is for the good of this region. And it glorifies God. So how might this be done? One, you could simply find a community, pray, and think about what are some communities relatively near Hingham? And perhaps what's a community that's relatively near Hingham and there are already a significant number of people driving to Hingham for church? And so we say, how is it that the South Shore Baptist Church might raise up from within a church plant or bring from the outside and say, let's gather together. What if those people who are already there gathered together 
And then others from Hingham who maybe don't uh, live in that community but be willing to move there would say, I want to be a part of a church plant. I don't want to come to church where there's seats already there. I want to go to church where I could set up folding chairs every day. I'm not sure why you'd want that, but, but that'd be a great thing to say, I want to serve and set up and tear down day after day after day. And so then you pull together a team from South Shore Baptist Church who come from this healthy congregation to lay the groundwork and to be a part of a team to plant a church there. Brings 30 people, 40 people can make a massive impact in a gospel witness going forward. And those who remain here are in the mission with them. And some of you maybe rotate through once a month. You go over and help with childcare. You're still here, but you go there. Or you go and you serve in the band. You go and help tear down and set up. And then imagine a new, healthy, growing congregation in that town. And then in the next town. And then in the next town. So what can we do now? One, I would say pray. Pray for the gospel to go forward through this congregation and pray for yourselves that God would stir you, God would give you the opportunity, that God would give you the courage, the boldness to join in church planting. Give. Give generously, give financially. Also consider what part you might play. Could it be that even this morning, God stirs your heart and say, I know it sounds crazy, but I think I'd want to do that. I think I'd want to be a part of one of those core teams. I'd like to be a part of a church plant. Walk together in serving church planters that God might raise up from within. God might send out. Church planting, though, is not just for a little subset of radicals in your church. It's for the whole church. Young and old, every background, Every one of you leveraged, whether you actually go or not, every one of you leveraged for gospel multiplication. You know, I love our kids. I love being a dad. But there's one thing I hear that is even better than being a dad. I've heard being a grandparent is even better. And so I hope in the future, a ways down the road, but but down the road, eventually, by God's grace, I, I want to be a grandparent. What a great thing to hold a grandchild. And then perhaps if God was to, to do the timing right, I haven't done the math, but maybe even a great-grandparent, what would that be like? What a blessing to raise a child, but then to see multiplication happen. Grandchildren and more grandchildren. Friends, God has planted a healthy gospel witness here that is influencing this region, is influencing this town. But friends, what if there were children, churches planted? And then grandchildren, churches. And then great-grandchildren, scattering throughout the whole region. What a great mission to give ourselves to. What a great mission for you to labor together for. For the sake of the gospel, for the good of your neighbors, and for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this congregation, for their faithful witness. Thank you for your sustaining grace in and through them, the way you've cared for them in the past and how we can confidently trust you will do so in the future. I pray for fruitfulness of the gospel. That as the good news goes forward in relationships, through the preaching of your word, that lives would be transformed. Lord, thank you for their sacrifice in sending out Jeremy and Seth and their families. 
I pray you protect them from the temptation that would be completely normal to pull back now. I pray you would stir them forward to have a taste of sending out and want to do it more. I pray that they could labor for the advance of the gospel, that you'd give them opportunities to plant and to bless many church plants in the South Shore and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.